Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Ruben. Hi, Teddy. How much do you think it costs to hire a BOMO in Malaysia? Like $25. $25 or 25 ringgit? Oh, 25 ringgit. <laughs> <laughs> How about 2.5 million ringgit? Oh, that's too much. What do you think you'll get for 2.5 million ringgit? I don't know, like some lines. <laughs> like <laughs> the food? If I get rid of the bad mojo. How about death? <laughs> Hi, I'm Teddy and today we have with us uh, Ruben Yes Not my real name <laughs> <laughs> And today we're looking at the pop star and killer Mona Fendi from Malaysia Very cool, very cool I've never heard of her <laughs> <laughs> Mona Fendi was born on 15th Jan 1956 she was born Noor Masna Binti Ismail, and Mona was her stage name. Yeah, I think Mona Fendi sounds better than Noor Masna <laughs> Binti Ismail. D. She was born in Kanga Police, which is the capital city in the smallest state of Malaysia, and it's a slow town with mostly farmers and like civil servants. She started singing and dancing when she was really young, and eventually she married this guy, Muhammad Noor Afandi Abdul Rahman. So he's basically her biggest fan, and he promised to fund her singing career, and he also promised to make her into Malaysia's biggest pop star. Also, she's like the Malaysian Sun Ho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, no. <laughs> and Mona was given to her from a nickname that he used to call her. And they really did work on it. They launched an album for her, it's called Diana, and they even booked a couple of TV appearances. The thing is though, her career never really took off. I don't know if it was luck or what, but she never got around to being Malaysia's biggest pop star. So she did a career switch and became a BOMO. Of course, as you do. As you do. Yeah. Natural transition. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it was part of a CV anyway. So for people who don't know, a BOMO is like a witch doctor, would you say? Like a witch doctor. Yeah. Sometimes they also do black magic, but it's not really... It's like a... Like a BOMO can be a black magician, but not all BOMOs are black magician. Yeah. They like help you solve spiritual problems. Are black magicians BOMOs? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think black magicians don't help people generally, right? They... I think they do, like but they do it in like people. shady ways. They're like shamans. Like mm, Bomos like are like shamans. Kind of shamans. It's very, very similar to a Dukun, which we discussed in episode 6, Ahmad Suraji, the Black Magic Killer. Go and check it out if you haven't. Ruben, is it a great episode? It's a fantastic episode. Life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ruben. <laughs> While Mona wasn't like a great pop star, apparently she was a very good Bomo. And with Bomos, everything has to be super low-key. 
because you never want somebody to know that you are up to black magic. Wait, wait, is that true though? I would like advertise that I'm very magic so that people come to me. No, <laughs> but like if if you were to go out and be like, oh, I want uh, Bomo to do some magic so that I can be very rich and oh, very famous. Or like, I want a Bomo to do this so that uh, the judge swings in my favor. You, you're not going to hide under the radar. Yeah, you're going to be under the radar. So this goes on for a couple of years until July 1993. This is where we meet Maslan Idris. Maslan Idris was a state assemblyman for Batu Talam and he was still a rising politician. He was like a baby politician. He wasn't like a big boy yet. To give you an idea on the level of fancy that this guy was, Bahang, which he was an assemblyman for, is one of the largest states in Malaysia and you might be pretty familiar with Tioman Island, which the state encompasses. Uh, he was also educated in the US. I think at that time, yeah, it was quite a fancy thing, right? Yeah, especially yeah, if you like 60s, 70s, if you went on a scholarship and you went to the US to study, that's, that's like, you know, you come from money. And he was rapping AMNO, which yeah, again... Of course he was. <laughs> of course he was. Which was the ruling party of Malaysia at the time. So everything was going pretty well for him. So Maslan Idris was really ambitious. He wanted to be the chief minister of Bahang and he wanted to get it no matter what. So he approached Mona. At the time, Mona and her husband, they got really fancy with this Bomo thing. They even hired an assistant to help them with their Bomoing and the assistant's name was Juraimi Hussein. Okay. So, for 2.5 million ringgit, which using the exchange rate at that time, would have been 1.4 million SGD. She promised to get him one talisman. And you remember the ex-president of Indonesia, um, Sukarno? Yep. You get his staff, his walking cane, and you get one songkok. And for people who don't know, the songkok is like a... It's like a hat. It's like a Malay traditional hat. Yeah, it's like a... I think the closest Western equivalent is like a lady's billbox hat. No, it's like, you know... um, those monkeys, performing monkeys, and they wear the red thing on their head. <laughs> or like the Tunisian men, they have like a, that, that hat. It's like that hat. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she said that with these three things, he would be invincible. Basically, so it's like the Singapore Deathly Hallows, not the Malaysian Deathly Hallows. <laughs> it's like the staff and the elder one. And then you and the have the, the <laughs> Okay, so... I see where J.K. Rowling got it from. (laughs) So he paid them half a million ringgit for a deposit. So that's a few hundred K already. Mm -hmm. And he gave them a bunch of land deeds as like collateral for the remaining two million. And at the same time, he made an appointment for the cleansing ritual to be done. Because you can't just have the thing. You must have the thing and a cleansing ritual. Okay. Yeah. Malaysian press is not reliable. No, you don't say (laughs) So either on 2nd July 1993, 18th July 1993, or any time between then, <laughs> this happened. So, Are you sure this guy is dead? <laughs> he's still around. We're sure he's dead. Like, We're sure he's dead. <laughs> he's going to listen to this podcast and be like, hey, wait a second. I'm still here. <laughs> So Maslan was reported missing on 2nd July 1993. Around that time, he withdrew, again, either 300,000k or 30,000k, depending on where you read. <laughs> That's a big difference. <laughs> it's a one-zero difference. It's not a big difference. <laughs> Let me set the scene for you. 
Mona's house is in the middle of nowhere, rural Pahang. It's damn rabat. It's at the end of a dirt road. It's not even like a normal road. Like when you drive, you probably need like a four-wheel drive if you don't want to get stuck there. Mm, like most of Malaysia, I guess. And the house is not like fully complete. There's like a lot of raw concrete. The floor's unfinished. That sounds like your typical Malaysian home. (laughs) Ruben! (laughs) Ruben, please! From what I've heard of it. (laughs) From what you've heard, right? (laughs) So friends tell me. So friends tell you. Malaysian friends. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And the other thing is that it's surrounded by forests and it has like really tall grass growing everywhere so nobody can really hear your screams. I don't think grass muffles people's screams. But you know <laughs> it's <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> Alright, so they go to a raised platform in the middle of the kitchen and there's um, pictures of the house. So it's basically a big room, a raised platform, the shelves all over the walls, and in the shelves there's all the Bomo stuff, which is like... The binoculars and the limes. <laughs> That's what they have. Real shady. And everybody who has been there agrees that it's like full bad vibes going on. They started to do a flower bath ritual, and it's called a mandi bunga, and it sounds very innocent, right? So it's not something that's out of the unusual, like... Other pomos and I guess other people do do flower baths and what you want out of the flower bath um, depends on which flowers that you use. So it'll be used to like cleanse your bad jujube. Okay. Yeah. So, but we don't know what flowers they were using right then. I mean, we don't even know what date he died. <laughs> so what are the types of flowers that they use? They got like chrysanthemums oh, just to go to sleep. and like orchids or like jasmine. See what vibes you want. So if you're like a Malaysian who wants to to like migrate to Singapore then they use a Vietnam is joking. (laughs) No, No, you marry a Singaporean. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) She starts putting flowers on Maslan who's lying on the raised platform in the middle of the kitchen and her husband and the assistant are there, you know, to assist for like 2.5 million ringgit. You better have some damn attendants like doing shit for you. I wonder how much she was paying them. Yeah, like it better be like there. a full spa bomo experience. It's basically a spa. You're lying in flowers <laughs> and like your assistants around you, they really give you like a lemongrass tea. <laughs> <laughs> she's lying down. She's get He's getting flowers put on him. And then she's all like, Maslan, close your eyes. And so he closes his eyes. She's like, wait for the money to fall from the sky. But he doesn't want the money. He gave her the money. He wants the... He wants the title and the... Yeah, he wants money. the title and the power. You're giving back a refund. <laughs> no, but it's like... It's like connected, you know. Right. The money and the power. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he thought this, the first step was the money and then you get the power, you get the of position. Of course, I mean, that makes sense. In Malaysia, if you want to become a politician, you need lots of money to pay your way there. One billion dollars. So... While Maslan's eyes were closed, Jeremy, the assistant, he took an axe and instead of the money falling from the sky, the axe fell from the sky and decapitated him. Seems like a very unnecessary way to kill someone. Why? <laughs> Could have done it in a much easier way than ask him to lie there, close his eyes, 
And then tea <laughs> every day. <laughs> what, what, that's a more efficient way of killing someone. So he someone. could have like, I don't know, poisoned his lemongrass tea or like... <laughs> It, you didn't even need to bring him all the way there, right? You could have like, killed him much earlier. I don't like how <laughs> you are thinking about the more efficient way of killing someone. Like it's like a very dramatic way to kill someone with like only two people watching. <laughs> it's a small audience. Okay, so... Wait, but, wait, hang wait. on a second. How do they know that this is how he died? If they don't actually know the date that he... was. So, like they even, eventually find his body and I guess there's also some like... Like artifacts. I guess... They found the eggs. They probably found the eggs right. and I guess at least one of the three of them would have been like, oh yeah, I did this. Right? Like, oh, okay. Right. If you're yeah. being charged with a crime, you'll be one of the witnesses, right? Eventually somebody will get to cross-examine you. Yeah, so they will cross-examine all three. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can... Throw each other under the bus. <laughs> if you wanted to. Hey, I'm guessing that there was some thrown under the bus that happened <laughs> here. <laughs> okay. But then you would only do that if, like, they... Well, I don't know the outcome of the case was, but if all of them were sentenced to death, then it wasn't a very good deal that they struck throwing each other under the bus. <laughs> okay. So after they kill him, they dismember him. And remember that chopping somebody up is damn hard, damn disgusting work because human bodies are like super resilient and like you have to cut through the tendon, you have to cut through the bone. Ugh. So they, not that I know, not that I know anything about it. Couldn't chopping. have done like some more magic <laughs> to like, just make him disappear. <laughs> not so, powerful enough. Not powerful enough. So they dismember him into 18 different parts. Okay. And then, remember the house is unfinished. They find a storeroom where the floor is still a dirt floor. They dig up the entire storeroom. They put his body there. And then they cover it with concrete. Okay. And then I think they're pretty happy with themselves. They got some money. They got some nandies. So, Mona and her husband. There's not much shopping to be done in Bahang. So they hey, go- hang on. But she could have gotten way more money because he promised her $2.5 million. She just waited until like a bit longer. Maybe she would have gotten more money from him. Like, oh, you need to add on to get yeah, <laughs> to expedite like, this. 500k, we give you the flower bar. Then another 500k, we like do something else for you. And then like she could like build it up, get the 2.5 million and then kill him. But she technically already got half a million ringgit and either 30 or 300k. And then she also had um, the land deeds, which might be worth 2 million of Malaysian land. It's Malaysian land though. How expensive would it be? <laughs> So they go to KL and they shop. They buy a Mercedes Benz. Uh, Mona gets a facelift because, you know, that bumming real stressful. Okay, and they buy some jewelry and they just they just shop, basically. And so Maslan Idris is a notable man. He's a public figure. And about four days later after the last date of his alleged possible killing, on 22nd of July, the police, they investigate him and they end up going to Mona's house and they find his body. Mona, her husband and the assistant are arrested. And yo, the court case was a mess. During the case, Mona was really weird. She was like really perky and really dapper. So she wore all these bright dresses that looked right out of a Laura Ashley catalog. And if you look at photos from that period, she's always smiling. So Maslan Idris is a notable man and people kind of knew Mona from her failed pop singer career. And I think 
a lot of people did know her because she did bomo for for people like famous people. Yeah, I'm sure like okay. other rich people that she bomo from would have like cut her and be like, oh. I think she killed all of them also. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe their ask, their like their requests were actually attainable. <laughs> That's a really like, this guy was, like, so incompetent that she's like, no, this he can't make chief minister. We might as well just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe the uh, the other requests were attainable, and she's like, I can do that. Right. And if she didn't kill him, maybe he wouldn't have attained chief minister and then she would have gotten a bad rap for being like a shitty bomo. Perhaps. Okay, so a ton of people went to court to go and see the case. And she was always smiling and waving at them, except for this one time where this photographer accidentally got pushed up against her and she immediately spat at him. So she was like a bit like... Two-faced. Two-faced, yeah. Right. And he freak- he got freaked out because people yeah, asked... Bomo's fit. You don't know what... <laughs> What's it gonna do to you? Yeah. Gotta go do a flower bath then. <laughs> okay, here's some other weird things that he did in court. And you can tell me whether it, it would be okay or not in the Singapore court. Okay. So she declared her name was Tengku Rohani Tengku Abdullah, you know, instead of Mona Fandi or instead of her original name. And for international listeners, Tengku or Tunku in Malaysia is a title reserved for children of state rulers. So basically, very loosely. So she's basically saying that she's royalty. But if she gave a fake name. Yeah. That's not okay. You can't do that in court. You can't? You can't do that. Of course not. It's like the first... The judge will be like, okay, you're guilty already. <laughs> okay. Like she gave a name as, a, as royalty. It's like the most easily verifiable thing. Like everybody knows who the Malaysian royalty is. <laughs> Okay, she also told the judge who at the time presiding over the case was uh, Mokta Sindin. She's a singer and she offered to sing in court, which was very politely declined. Okay. Maybe it would have helped. Maybe she, the judge was a fan of hers. <laughs> <laughs> politely declined. Ah, I see. At some point of time in court, she started speaking like really, really fast. I would say rambling. And she digressed so much that she even forgot what she was talking about. So she had to ask, I think the court stenographer yeah um, transcriber transcriber to read back the record to her okay that's not too uncommon you know like we have a lot of clients who just lose track of things in court (laughs) (laughs) it's not really uncommon I think and people get nervous on the stand they just like lose track doesn't it just mean you're a bad witness (laughs) yeah well if you are on trial you have to kind of be a witness most of the time so you don't have a choice (laughs) and okay I mean don't tend to acknowledge that they are bad witnesses. They always think that they can make their case better than anyone else. So, they try anyway. (laughs) Okay, and Mona, she's a woman of many talents. At one point, they were cross-examining a witness. They were cross-examining a jewelry shop assistant where Mona and her husband went shopping in KL. And so, Mona is so pissed off with the shop assistant because obviously he's like, yeah, she came in and spent... Like a ton of money. 500k. (laughs) (laughs) And so, she stands up and in perfect Hokkien, like, shouts at him that he's lying. Oh, that's quite impressive. He is quite impressive, right? Why in Hokkien? Was he Hokkien? Yeah, he was was testifying in Hokkien. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, she loved the attention. She loved that she was on the front page of, like, every newspaper. And she even thanked the reporters for quote-unquote, putting in such nice stories and pictures. And during the case... It's like a good PR pitch for her business. <laughs> like she thought like, oh, if I get off, then like tons of people are going to come to me. That's the worst PR pitch ever. Oh, you kill like, your this, clients. This, this guy pissed me off and I made him disappear and I got off the case spot-free. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can make your clients disappear. Yeah, that's true. 
there are a ton of rumors about her time in prison. They said that she used her bomo powers to like sneak out of prison for a drink and then she'll come back, which sounds like something you would do, but then why wouldn't you just sneak out and run away, you know? I think more than bomo powers, it was probably like the guards were like just afraid of her and like, yeah, no, go and have a drink. <laughs> out, like, okay, back. you want a drink? <laughs> Don't run away. Or maybe she gave the guards like some of them 500k. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so another interesting fact about this case is that it was the last jury trial in Malaysia. Jury trials were abolished in 1995 and for this case, a jury of seven people presided over the case and they found Mona, her husband and their assistant guilty and sentenced them to death. Oh, that's quite interesting. I wonder if like, this case had any influence on their decision to get rid of the jury system. Maybe because it was kind of a shit show, you know? Do you think that it would have helped her? Because, like, celebrities always benefit oh, from having a jury. Like, because, like, like, you. Like, like OJ Simpson. He <laughs> <laughs> had, like, a jury also. No, but, like, like Maslan Idris was a politician. And maybe he was, like, a well-liked politician. Maybe. Yeah, so that Fair would have cool. swung against her favour, right? Fair enough. I guess, was the jury, was the case in Pahang? The case was in Pahang, I think. The, the, the court happened in Pahang. First instance of it, at least. Mm. They were found guilty, sentenced to death, and the other thing is that they have a young daughter, so they really, really didn't want to die. I mean, you don't want to die to begin with. Lah. So they appealed to the federal court in 1999, and they were dismissed, and then they appealed again to the pardons board of Pahang, and they were dismissed as well. So both their okay. appeals failed through. Right. Yeah. And on 2nd November 2001... So that was when I was in primary school. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Guess what their last meal was? Uh, it's like like the nasi padang. So they can have like all the different foods in like one. It's like the cheat last meal because <laughs> it's like 10 last meals in one. Is that like, what you have? Nasi yeah, padang? Yeah, like the nasi padang or the chai fun. You know, <laughs> it's like, even like, like chai fun. I like chai fun. It's really good. <laughs> like the Singaporean nasi padang. What did they have? Alright, so after the last meal of KFC Fried Chicken. <laughs> Sponsoring this video. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. We need some money. Yes. Mona, Afandi, her husband, and her assistant, Jeremy, they were all hanged to death in Kajang prison. And before, right before her execution, she told the executioner, I will never die. <sighs> Hi, Ruben. Hi, Theodore. Do you enjoy this episode of A Brief Case? Oh, it was riveting. Tell all your friends. <laughs> or if not, I'll get my bomo to go after you. <laughs> I hope you listeners enjoyed this episode of A Brief Case. Mona Fandi. Bomo. Pop singer. Killer. Alright, you can find us on Instagram at abriefcase underscore. And do join us next week for... Another briefcase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.